presence in this place, your glory on our face, we're looking to the sky, descending like a cloud, you're standing with us now, Lord, unveil our eyes, you're the risen, we're have a mission in the world. God's mission has a church in the world. Are we that church? She went on to expound Romans 15 and call a call to serve in word and deed and signs and wonders and in the power of the Holy Spirit. The next few weeks we have a chance to connect with God's mission. That's what I want to talk to you about briefly. Next Sunday, Dr. George Beals of World Hope International will be our speaker and so please come and and hear his reports from West Africa and elsewhere. And then in Kaleidoscope, which I know meets during now, but uh, this service, but we'll be celebrating 80 years of missions with two couples that we've supported. And then we'll be celebrating two new units going out. One of us is a college graduate just last year who'll be joining Wycliffe and another couple from our district going to Haiti. So it's a very uh, important time to celebrate what we do and how we support missions. But there are two important dates also, February 7 and February 17. On the 7th, there's a missions trip to Buffalo um, to work on the west side of Buffalo. It's an intergenerational trip, so if you're a youth and you say, uh, I want to get my hands in God's mission, you could sign up. And it's the yellow sheet in your bulletin. Look right on the front, you could sign up. We need it in the offering plate or in one of the bins uh, for the Haiti Project today. We'd like to know who's signed up for that so we can have transportation. So maybe a whole family would like to go. And the other one is February 17th, preparing a meal and serving a meal at Wellspring down in Angelica. Now these things don't happen in midair, you know, out of thin air. They happen with real missional people who sign up. So we're asking for you to do that. And of course there's a college sign up for break as well. Finally, you'll notice in your bulletin this thing called Faith Promise. Our church commits a budget to missions to support missionaries and ministries throughout the world and close to home. But there's an extra part beyond our regular tithes and offerings which we receive each Sunday. We have a chance personally and as families to ask God what might he do above and beyond 
our normal giving. How he might surprise us with an extra job or a a check from grandma or whatever that just will say, Lord, if you give it, I'll give it. And so we'll have cards in your bulletins next Sunday, Mission Sunday, and the following Sunday we'll collect those cards to see if we can reach the goal of 27,000 or above for faith promise during this calendar year. Let's be a missional church. Thank you. Let's stand as we continue and sing together.
Like sunshine at noonday, His glory show me. The light of the world is Jesus. No darkness for those who in Jesus abide. Light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our God. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, it's shining for me. Sweetly the light, it's dawned upon me. Once I was Down to light us 
Jesus, singing over 
moments of time in prayer if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers please come and join me thank you for the gift of Jesus who is the spirit of truth who reveals you perfectly to us and through whom we know you and are set free by you Father we come today having lived through this week of ups and downs successes and failures We thank you that in all of it, you have been our constant. You've been with us. And you have helped us and you have uh, forgiven us and you have been present with us in all of the experiences of our lives. This morning we come and we give thanks to you and we praise you for all that you've done and we ask for your continued grace in the struggles that are a part of living in this world. Pray, Father, for those who are grieving today. Think especially of family of Alton Shea. We ask that you would comfort them, that you would surround them with your presence. We pray for others who are grieving, maybe a death, maybe a disappointment, maybe the loss of a dream. Comfort us with your spirit. We pray, Father, for all who are struggling with pain and difficulties that come from living in this fragile, fallen world, being fragile, fallen people. Today, we especially pray for Jill Tyson, Priscilla Waltz, for Vesta Mullen, Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, for Bill Roski, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Isla Shea, Dick Gould, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and for others that are on our hearts and minds today. Father, we pray for this world you love and created and want to redeem. We pray, Father, that you would bring peace in the places of war, that you would supply food and, and water and necessities of life for those who do not have them. We pray, Father, for the work of your kingdom throughout this world. As we move into a missions week and weekend, Lord, stir our hearts anew for your world. Help us to see the world the way you do. Give us hearts of compassion and grace and involvement so that others may know the joy of you as we do. Lord, we we want to pray for our brothers and sisters who face difficulties that we know nothing about. Some of them come to worship today and are facing threats, opposition, persecution, violence, just because they serve you. 
We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would give them courage and strength and that even in the midst of the difficulty and the opposition that the light of Christ would so shine through them that people would be changed and want to know you. Father, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our minds to think, our arms to embrace as you embrace. Open our hearts to love. Father, we pray all of this for the glory of your name and through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, our coming King, our Lord. Amen. reading verse 31 through chapter 14, verse 14. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay your life down for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, in my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, what I've told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. This is a reading of the gospel. Before you're seated, just take a moment to share a word of greeting with others who are here.
Have you ever known that feeling of loneliness that gets sort of in the pit of your stomach? That feeling of, I don't know, maybe a feeling abandoned is the right word. That feeling of you're all by yourself. I mean, there might be other people around you, but you, you feel alone and lonely. I remember the first day of college. It was a Sunday afternoon. Everybody had gathered, and the parents, and you know, all the, everybody, things were unloaded. And I remember distinctly at the point when, you know, freshmen went this way, parents left, and everybody. Then we eventually, you know, they gave us a speech about what we could do and couldn't do, and all those things. And and then we went back to our rooms. And I remember sitting in my room, I was by myself, and just felt so alone. We had just moved to Oregon a couple of months before. I didn't know my roommate. I didn't know anybody on campus. I just felt this growing sense of loneliness, and I kept thinking, I wish I were back in Indiana. Why am I here? What am I doing? And then I began to meet some of the guys on my floor, and I began to engage with people, and all that changed. But in that moment, there was this sense, this feeling of abandonment, loneliness. When I read the Gospel of John here in this section we read today, I get the sense that the disciples are wrestling with those same emotions. Jesus is saying to them, I'm going away, and you can't come with me. You're getting left. And after three plus years hanging out with Jesus, he has been their rock, he has been their life, he has been everything about their existence. He's been with them every moment, and now he's saying, I'm going away and you can't come. And I have a sense that this this, this blanket of loneliness comes over them, and anxiety and fear and what's going to happen and what's the future going to look like. What's going on? You know, the, the chapter and verse divisions in our Bibles are so helpful for finding stuff. If we didn't, you know, those were those were put in the scriptures in the 15th, 16th century. If we didn't have those, it'd be pretty difficult for us to say, you know, turn to John 14. We'd have to say to you, turn to the, count up the 300th paragraph in John's gospel. Of course, your Bible might be the 300, mine might be 279, you know, it would just be so confusing. It's helpful to find stuff. But the drawback to it is that we have a tendency to think that the chapters are disconnected to each other. So when you get to the end of the chapter, that's the end of the thought, and the next chapter starts a new thought. But it really all flows together. And we have a tendency when we read John 14 to think that's the beginning of the dialogue, but really it's not. It's connected, it's continuing of the dialogue that started in John 13. The beginning of John 13, Jesus meets with his disciples in the upper room. It's the night before, now he's arrested, just hours before he goes to the cross, and he talks to them about what he's going to be experiencing. He washes their feet. Uh, the other gospels tell us that they, he get, offers them the, the Last Supper. And there, there's this dynamic of teaching them. And then you come to the end of chapter 13, and here's what Jesus says. Look, guys, I'm going away for a while, and you can't come with me. And Peter says, wait a minute. Why can't we go with you? I'll, I'll go with you. In fact, Jesus, I'll go to the death for you. I think in Peter's mind, he's thinking he can't go because he's not strong enough. He's not able to go. Jesus is going to experience things that these guys won't be able to handle. And Peter says, I can handle it. I'm tough. I'll go with you to the end. What do you mean you can't go with you? And Jesus says, Peter, before this night's over, you'll deny even knowing me, much less going with me. And then he says, but let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back to take you where I am. And he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't even know the place. How in the world are we possibly going to know the way? And Jesus says, guys, 
I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He goes on to say, if you're engaged with me, the stuff that's going to happen in your life is going to blow your minds. If you were to tell them in that moment all the things they were going to encounter and all the stuff that they were going to go through, they wouldn't be able to handle it. I think that's one of the reasons why God doesn't reveal so as much to us as we might like sometimes because we couldn't handle it that far ahead. But he says to them, you're going to reach the point where you're going to do greater things than I've done. What? To me, it's one of the most fascinating things Jesus says. And he says, whatever you ask for in my name, I'll give to you. Whatever you ask for in my name, I'll give to you. What's the key? The key is being with Jesus. The key is understanding and engaging ourselves with Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. How do we get to the point in life where we, we experience what Jesus described with the disciples about the things that will happen in our lives and the, and the, the kind of prayer life we have is because we're connected to Jesus. But here's the thing that struck me as I began to study this passage again. It's a familiar verse. If you memorize scripture in Sunday school, this is probably one of the verses you memorized. I always thought when Jesus says, I'm the way, that he meant he was the road. And the goal is you walk on the road. And you follow the road. Sort of like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. But the more I think about it, I don't think he's saying I'm the road. I think he's saying I'm the vehicle. I'm not the path to God. I'm the means to getting to God. I am the means to the kind of life that you were created to live. It's not as though Jesus is saying to the disciples, all right, here are the directions. Here's, the, here's what you're supposed to do. I hope you can follow it. Good luck with that. No, he says, I'm the vehicle. I'm the way. You get in the car with me and let's go. The thing that that does for me is that it, it moves us from thinking of a relationship with Jesus as a formula to a relationship. And see, we are thinking about encountering God and knowing God and the journey with God. We tend to think of that as a formula. Right, Lord, give me the secret. Give me the plan. Give me the path. And then I'll go. And Jesus is saying, look, guys, the whole thing is it's about me. It's not about a formula. And the problem with them, you know, formulas can be helpful, but the problem with formula or steps is that we tend to be more concerned about the formula and the steps than we are about Jesus. As long as we get the formula right, we're good. As long as we take the right steps, we're good. And quite frankly, there are times for a lot of people where the steps are what matter and Jesus is just sort of secondary to that. And we are judging the rightness or the wrongness of our life with him by are we following the right steps? Or do we engage in the right formula instead of are we about Jesus? What ends up happening when we have the formula, we tend to live a life that's the path of least resistance. And we're saying, what's the easiest way to get where I want to go? When it's with Jesus... Hey, all bets are off and we're just going wherever he takes us. And it creates a different kind of mindset. Instead of a mindset of fear that I hope I get the right path, it becomes this exhilarating journey of who knows where he's going to take us. I was thinking, you know, today's Super Bowl. Right? I was in the store the other day and I heard a couple of women walk by. I just said, I had no idea the Super Bowl was going on this weekend. I'm thinking, where have you been? Just look at the food for sale in the store and you know that thing's going on. And I forgot about that. It's the Super Bowl today and, you know, we are lamenting a little bit in our household because we're all Green Bay Packer fans and we aren't in the Super Bowl. 
The Seahawks beat us a couple weeks ago. We were watching that game a couple weeks ago and it struck all of us that the Packers were playing a very different kind of game than they played all year. They were, it, you get the feeling, got the feeling, they were playing not to lose instead of playing to win. There's a big difference. They're making very cautious decisions. They were playing very cautiously instead of taking chances and being aggressive. And because of that cautious way they played, it ended up catching up with them. And the Seahawks, they opened the door, the Seahawks walked right through it. And they ended up winning the game. And they're playing today instead of the Packers. Sometimes that's what happens in our walk with Jesus. We're just trying not to lose. We're trying not to make a mistake. We're trying to make sure that we... We keep our path as cautious as possible. And all the while, Jesus is saying, you know what, I got so much more than that for you. Because when you, when you live cautiously, it's all about what do I not do instead of what can I do. And it's a total difference. It's not about being perfect. The call of God in our lives is not perfectionism. It's surrender. The, the point of being a follower of Jesus and walking with him is not, can I be perfect? It's, am I willing to surrender to Jesus wherever he takes me? In this, the mornings, we get up early and I go out walking. And... When I'm out walking on our road there, back and forth, there are, of course now it's snowing some, it's cold, I'm all bundled up and things barely see my eyes through the stuff. But earlier this week, I usually make two loops up and down the Lucky Drive. And earlier Tuesday morning, I remember it had snowed that night and so the road was covered with snow and there's not a ton of traffic on our road at that time of the morning. And so when I got ready to start the second loop around, the only things on the road were my footprints from the first loop. And I was thinking, of course, I had this sermon kind of going through my head and the ideas of that. And I got to thinking, what if I decided that, that my goal for being out here was to make sure that I stepped in the exact same footprint every single time that I had done the first time around? Those are safe footprints. I didn't fall. I didn't slip on the ice. There's, those are good. So I'll just try to hit the same exact spot. And so, you know, I'm kind of doing this and do that and make that. I'd probably still be out there. Here's the thing. What kind of, I wouldn't get any exercise. The whole point of that is not making sure I step in the same footprint. It's to get some exercise. Who cares if I walk in the exact same footprint? And I also notice when, if I'm looking down at that footprint... I'm not paying any attention to anything else. I could run into stuff. I'm missing the scenery around me. I'm missing the people who might be around me. And life becomes this anxiety-riven existence of trying to be perfect instead of living in the joy of the journey with Jesus. I mean, the point is being with Jesus. It's like when you go on vacation. And people are different. Some people want to plan out every moment of a vacation. Some people will see what happens. I don't know which you are. But I know that for some people who want to plan the vacation, the perfect vacation is when you get home and you've done everything that you on your list. No glitches. That's the perfect vacation. Everything happened in the right order, at the right time, in the right way. And you time it out, we're going to spend 20 minutes at Mount Rushmore, we're going to spend 20 minutes at Crazy Horse, we're going to do 15 minutes here, and we're going to see the whole country in six and a half weeks. And we see every single thing, and you get every single moment planned out perfectly. And a perfect vacation, when you pull in the driveway at home, is no glitches, everything went right. It seems to me that Maybe a better definition of a perfect vacation is we had fun together even if there were glitches in the trip. 
And quite frankly, our walk with Jesus isn't about everything went perfect because quite frankly, life is not like that. Life has glitches all the time. But we're experiencing the joy of being with Jesus. That's what makes it what it should be. Or you go out on a date and you get everything planned perfectly. You know, the, everything is, is lined up, the right restaurant, the right atmosphere, you know, the right movie, whatever it is you're going to do, you get it all just perfect. And then it all falls apart. And you get to the end, you say, well, that was, that was a waste of time because it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Now, if you're the other person, you might be offended by that, right? The only thing that mattered about this date was that everything went perfectly the way you wanted it to. Isn't the point of the date being together, even if stuff doesn't go the way you want it to. And so in our walk with Jesus, stuff's going to happen. Life is going to take crazy turns. If we're with Jesus, we still experience the joy of the journey. And that's, that's why he created us. And that's the awesome part of this whole call to be that he is the way it's not the stress of making sure we're on the right path. It's the joy of being with Jesus. Even when things are tough and difficult and it's a struggle. Sometimes, sometimes we have this, this sense in our minds that the goal is really all that matters. The whole point of being a follower of Jesus is to get us to the end. And when that becomes our goal, as great as that will be, we really don't live in the moment. We're not really thinking about Jesus in the moment. We're just thinking about the goal that Jesus might get us to. Last week I talked about Jesus' statement, I am the light of the world, and how that's set in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. This is a, a feast that God told the Israelites to celebrate every year for seven days. It was commemorating back when they were in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. And for 40 years they lived in these little shelters, lean-to type things, very primitive and for even, and the whole point was when they get established in the land of Canaan and they have houses, for seven days they move everything out of the house and they live in these little primitive shelters so they don't forget how God took care of them. It's not to make them feel, you know, guilty about their homes, it's to remind them that God cared for them in the wilderness. And all the while they're living in the wilderness in these little temporary shelters, they're thinking someday we're going to get to the promised land. Someday we're going to live in real homes and we're going to have real land and we're going to be established and settled. And God eventually brings them to that. But you know what's fascinating to me is that I think one of the reasons why God wants them to remember is because when you get settled, it's easy to think we don't need God anymore. We're good. We finished. We're done. We figured it out. And Jesus is saying, you never get settled completely. The point of the Israelites celebrating this is God reminding them, as someone, as I read somewhere recently, reminding them that you never fully arrive. Because the minute we think we have arrived, we finished, we're done, as human beings, we start thinking, I don't need Jesus anymore. I don't need it anymore. I'm good. I'm settled. I've got it under control. It's taken care of. Life is fine. I have this picture in my mind. I used to think that when we get to heaven, we will have arrived. And whatever that new heaven, new earth existence is, it will be a matter of we're complete. We're finished. We're done. Everything is stops. But the more I ponder that, the more I realize that I think heaven is an ongoing experience of exploration, 
and learning and growing and understanding who God is. I don't think we will get to the place where we say, okay, I've got God all figured out. Everything is done. That would, in a sense, make us God. But rather, we get to this heavenly existence, the new heaven, new earth, and and Jesus has brought in the fullness of his kingdom. We will find the joy and the exhilaration of exploration and of discovery all the time. The difference will be now we get frustrated when we don't know things. Then we won't be thinking about that. We'll just be so thrilled with all of the discoveries of who God is. And the point will be, I think sometimes we think we will arrive. And when we arrive, we won't really need Jesus anymore. We're done with that. When we get to heaven, we will realize actually how much we need Jesus. We, we fight and struggle now to believe that we really need him in our lives. We often think, I can do it by myself, I'm good, I, I'm okay. When we get to heaven, we will totally, completely realize it's all about Jesus. And we will surrender to him like never before. We won't be finished will finally truly understand what it means to begin to know God and to experience Jesus with us. You know, this, this idea of Jesus saying, I'm the way, we often interpret as Jesus putting up walls around the kingdom. This sense of some people are in, some people are out. And the whole point of Jesus making this statement, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, we interpret that as there are some people who are not going to be a part of this. I have a feeling when you read it, Jesus is saying to the disciples, look guys, none of you would be in if it weren't for me. I am the way. You had no way before. You had no way of getting to God except for through me. And it's not about being exclusive. It's about inviting everyone into the kingdom. Now, not everybody takes the invitation. Not everybody says, I want to be a part of that. But everyone's invited. Everyone's welcome. And they may come to to Christ in the same way you do. They may come to Christ in a completely different way than you do. But everybody's welcome. As I was reading the other day, someone was saying that Jesus didn't, wasn't intending to create a kingdom about these people are in and banish those people who are going to be out. It was more a kind of kingdom where he says, everybody, come on in. Everybody's welcome. Or, or to put it another way, he said, it's, it's as though Jesus threatens everyone with inclusion. And the only way to be excluded is to reject the invitation. Jesus doesn't come and say, well, you people are good enough, so I'll invite you in. He's saying the kingdom's for all of you. Everybody's welcome. And when we get tied up with perfectionism, when we get tied up with trying to to make sure that we're doing exactly what God wants us to do and we're worried and anxious about following the exact right path, we become legalistic. And legalism breeds judgmentalism. And we start judging people about, did they get the right formula? Rather than, did they surrender their life to Jesus? And quite frankly, we'd have to turn it back on ourselves because we think we're pretty good because we got the right formula when all the while he's saying, are you surrendering your life to me? Not just once, but all the time, every day, every moment. The journey is about Jesus. Years ago, I read a little thing that a guy talked about how he envisioned his walk with Jesus as if he were riding on a tandem bike with Jesus. 
And he was on the front and Jesus was on the back helping him pedal. And he said eventually at some point in, in their travels, he came to realize that maybe it would be better if Jesus were in the front than he was in the back. And so he said, that's what we did. We switched places. He said, that was, that was awesome on one hand. It was scary on another hand. Because when you're in the front, you steer. And when you're in the back, you have no decision-making power about where the bike goes. You're just pedaling. He said, as the journey went along, Jesus took them through some places that were very interesting. And sometimes on this journey with Jesus on the front, he takes us along roads that are straight and serene and peaceful, kind of like this road. Something from, from the Midwest through a, through a field. Maybe we don't have the pictures. But he, so he takes us through a flat, straight, serene road. Sometimes the road is wavy. Sometimes the road is curvy. Sometimes it looks like Lombard Street in San Francisco. S-curve all the way down. Sometimes it takes even, it's even more of a curving kind of mountainside road. And sometimes, quite frankly, it feels just downright dangerous. But what makes the difference is that Jesus is steering the bike. And when Jesus is steering the bike, we know we can trust him. We may feel anxious sometimes. We may not know where we're headed. Sometimes it feels like we're heading straight down a hill and there's a stop sign at the bottom and we don't think we're going to be able to break in time. But we trust Jesus. And after a while of him handling whatever we face, we begin to trust more and more and surrender more and more. And instead of worrying, we start feeling the exhilaration of the journey with our Savior, our Redeemer, the one who loves us more than anyone we could ever imagine. I don't know exactly where you may be on the journey. Maybe you're not even on the bike with Jesus. Maybe you're on the back. Maybe you're on the front. Maybe you keep trying to break. You keep trying to, to take over the reins. Maybe there's something particular in your life that you know is keeping you from fully experiencing the joy of the journey with Christ. Wherever you may be, hear his invitation to get on board, to let go, and to experience the joy of this journey with him who is the way and the truth and the giver of life. Gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus in this moment of silence speak to us about our journey help us to hear your invitation to surrender a little bit more of ourselves that we might know the joy of the journey with Christ Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace to us. Help us to trust you more so that whatever, however, wherever life goes, we know the joy of the journey with you.
Amen. Please stand and sing with us. his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.